The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and this week I am joined by two very cool co-hosts. Nuts Heininger, Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Nuts. Uh, <laughs> nuts. <laughs> the game, Nuts. Nuts. A game developed by June Paul uh, Mutsch, Char, and Torfi. Uh, and that is a group of developers out of Iceland, out of Reykjavik. Uh, and this game is published by Noodle Cake. Uh, Noodle Cake, you guys will all know uh, as the publisher of a huge variety of games on iOS and a variety of other platforms, and Steam and so on. Um, publishers to tons of games that we've talked about on this show, not the least of which is the uh, the Alto games, I believe they published, at least on some platforms, and uh, a bunch of other great stuff. Uh, Noodle Cake comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. And the uh, burgeoning Icelandic game development community. <laughs> this, is a, this is such a funny thing. Um, when I said we were doing this on the uh, on uh, on the the Discord for the show, um, I said they're they're from Iceland. So probably John knows them, right? Friend of the show, uh, John of Gaming in the Wild, who hangs out in our Discord. Uh, he uh, lives in Reykjavik, and I was like, John, you probably know these guys, right? And and uh, we had a little chuckle about it, and then. Uh, like a week later, he was like, "Actually, yes." <laughs> Turns out, I do. He does. He yeah. does know at least one of them from some work with uh, one of one of the developers, at least involved in this, uh, is part of a uh, a community of developers in Iceland called Game Makers Iceland, I think. Um, and I think he knows them through that somehow. So anyway, uh, small uh, small town Reykjavik, I guess. Yeah, it's not. I don't. I think literally. I think it's just a not a big place. This has been Iceland Corner. Thank you all for. This listening has been three to people who know very little about Iceland <laughs> yeah. to have one friend Nuts. who lives there telling you about what we think Nuts. about Iceland. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts is a really interesting game. Um, it's. I think if you look at it, first of all, we should say where this game is because I played it on uh, Apple Arcade. Uh, so this was a Apple Arcade game that is now also out. Initially, it was like an Apple Arcade exclusive launch. I think it was only exclusive there for like a couple of weeks. But it's also since launched on Steam uh, for Windows and Mac and also on the Nintendo Switch. I'm not sure if it's coming to any other platforms, but um, I think any of those is probably a good option. I played across uh, a few different devices. I started on my my, uh, iPhone, uh, both with a touchscreen and with a controller, uh, switched over to my iPad, and then finished the game on my Mac. Um, So I got a variety of experiences. And uh, uh, I... I think this is a really, really cool game. How did you guys play it? I played on iPhone using touch controls, and I think I wish I would have played it on something else. Um, It's very smooth for iPhone. Um, I think it handles first person pretty well. I just never felt incredibly comfortable with it uh, on iPhone, so... I think if I was if I starting fresh and if you're out there listening and you have something else to play it on other than straight up touch controls iPhone, I think I recommend playing it on something else. Though I think it's it's just a it's just hard to do first person 
entirely on you know an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they do it good for what you're trying to do. I just think it's probably better on Switch or with like a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, I won't belabor the point since I feel like you know we need to get into talking about the game itself. But I agree with you there. Um, and having played it across a bunch of different platforms now, um, th- it does work pretty well with first-person touch controls. But if you have the option to play with a controller, that's great. If you have the option to play with a mouse and keyboard, that's by far what I would recommend. Um, because this is a game about uh, yeah. moving around in first person. Uh, we'll talk about like what you're doing in first person in a second. But you're moving around in first person. Uh, and uh, and doing a lot of sort of like small interactions, like, in, you know, doing things like moving small objects like controls on a camera or uh, sending faxes or controlling a VCR uh, that really benefit from having a, like fine grain control. So um, controller is good if you can on any of these platforms, you should be able to use a controller and uh, and mouse and keyboard even better if you if you can anytime you have a game where part of the controls for your gamepad uh is to kind of free the the uh pointer from the center of the of the screen and and just let you click on anything in your field of view it's kind of just an always a little bit of an awkward piece of of interactivity it really did feel like well this would be very very easy with a mouse uh but it becomes kind of modal when you put that on like a little switch that you you know hit hit x to flip um but that said, I thought that the the way that it presented um, interfaces within the world of the game was really really clever. So yeah. I don't want to I don't want to rag on the actual UI of the game for you, the player. I want to talk about the fact that this game has all these different pieces of like electronic gear, like CRT tube TVs, and like connecting those up to these wireless trail cameras and and running those and a recording facility. I felt like this game was made for Reagan. <laughs> it does kind of feel like it's it it's for a fan of CRTs, I bet Reagan's pretty positive on that aspect of the game. The the you know the ability to like print out the pictures and like make your crazy person um collage uh, diagram of like well the, yeah. the squirrel's here, so where does it live? Uh, you know, and drawing lines between things on your like cork board. It goes to the top. This goes Look, all the way to the top. None of this is going to make any sense for folks who aren't, who haven't listened yet, uh, who haven't played yet or, or watched a trailer. I want to give a quick setup of the game. This is a game about going out into the woods. Uh, you're a part of an ecological impact study. So you are loading up a sort of a trailer or camper and you're going out into the woods to study endangered squirrels in a forest called uh, Melmoth Forest. It's supposed to be pretty remote and uh, uh, and it's potentially uh, at risk for demolition or uh, for like development by a seemingly kind of evil or uncaring corporation uh, that is planning to tear down a bunch of trees, build dams, build some kind of, you know, building complexes, that sort of thing. And you're trying to document the activities of the endangered and very bizarre squirrels living in this area. So in order to do that, you're given a few tools. The main things you're going to be using are uh, the trail cams that Shane mentioned, which are basically just like big DSLR type cameras on tripods uh, and a kind of very antiquated uh, VCR and CRT TV assembly connected to a photo printer and a fax machine. 
Yeah, well, we we should say antiquated to you know us, but this game takes place solidly in 1997. Yes, that's uh, true. And uh, and they uh, they I think they make a point to tell you that it's 19. Well, they say uh, you know 15 years ago in 1982 we did this same thing to save this forest. We documented these squirrels and it saved the forest. So go and document these squirrels again. We think it's going to save this forest. And I do think they make a point to say, like, it's not you're not just out here on some low budget, crazy trip using stuff from 25 years ago. It's just literally it takes place in 1997. So this is actually maybe the height of technology. You have a Mm. fax machine out in a trailer in the middle of the forest. I mean, that's. We could only dream of that in 1997. Wireless cameras in 1997 would have been absolutely mind blowing. I mean, just think the, about the uh, the transmission technology involved. That you print a photograph in 1997 and it looks good. That's a <laughs> that's a high quality printer right there. Yeah, I mean, I you know you know where the money on this is going. Not to you. So there's not you're not running a like a cable from the. Uh, from the camera all the way back to the trailer, which would be a little, little more realistic. But one thing I will say for this game in terms of simulating cables, this is perhaps <laughs> my favorite um, corded telephone uh, in video game history. You know, I noticed this too. They did an amazing job with it. I mean, we can talk about We haven't even <laughs> talked about the graphics yet. And we, we de- need to, because it's one of the two things that really, really drew me into this game. But but damn, that's a beautifully simulated uh, curly Q or pigtail style telephone cord. Just amazingly done. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good. Um, okay. I think the two things that really, really drew me into this game are the incredibly um, unusual graphical style and it's like weird light hint of of bizarre mystery to the squirrels and the squirrel behavior. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the uh, the art style first. Uh, what did you guys make of the of the of the visuals here? Uh, very um, like appealing, and really definitely makes this game stand out in a unique way. Very very quickly. Uh, I'm not the best on the show at the, you know at, at describing the visual style, but I'll say as as someone who's not very educated on different art styles. I, that was one of the things that stood out to me very quickly in this game is that I can't think of a game that, that we've played that really looks like this and uh, kind of draws the world in this way. Uh, what would you, how would you describe this art style or this design style? This is the part where we're all like, dang it, where's Laura? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, so I, I'll take a, I'll take a stab at it, but basically this is, um, in a lot of ways, this game reminded me of a game that's been on my mind because it just had a five-year anniversary. So maybe it's maybe it's that. But it reminds me of Firewatch in a lot of ways. But while Firewatch had a very uh, somewhat cartoony but pretty realistic take on the kind of natural setting you're in, uh, this game blows the color out completely and and basically doesn't use textures on the 3d models. What they, what they do instead uh, is they come up with a, um, a few really good, really striking um, color palettes. 
and use those to indicate the stuff uh, that, that's out there in the world. And, and they're neon, they're hot colors uh, during the daytime. And then at night, they're just these nice blue, cool colors. And it, and it helps with this kind of day-night aesthetic that mm-hmm. the game has, which which is kind of reinforced by the way the game plays out, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But the the look of the game, really, uh, it's, it's cutouts, it's outlines, uh, it's really bold, uh, which for a game about like watching something tiny moving and running around like way off, um, it's actually really effective. Like if you're trying to watch a little squirrel, it really helps that that squirrel is like super bright and not the same color as anything else. Uh, so that it kind of makes up for the fact that you're looking at through a simulated CRT and a like poorly focused camera pointed in, you know, probably halfway the wrong direction. So, uh, I, I think that aspect of it is pretty neat and it, it, it wasn't quite as gorgeous as something like firewatch, but like this game doesn't need to be necessarily going there. I, I think this is, I think this is an extremely pretty game. Like so that, yeah, the, the main thing that, the main thing to understand about this is that like it's doing this style of cell shading that I've I don't think I've ever seen before that nothing that completely matches up to this. It's doing these like hyper color day glow color palettes. Usually like for any given scene it picks like seems like three or four colors and then does uh does sort of shading within that. Um uh, but it's doing it all in this totally real time way. So like you know, um, objects might be orange and the trees are are uh, sort of teal green or blue and the sky is a bright yellow, you know, that sort of sort of thing with a color palette. Um, and everything has these incredibly bold lines. So I, this must be, I think, very hard to achieve in three dimension, you know, in a, in a 3D game like this. But everything has these bold outlines that looks like somebody has done like a poster illustration of it, right? So, you know, you look at something like your camera and your camera might be bright orange against a a cool blue background and it's got yellow lines for all of the details of the camera, but the actual like surfaces of the camera are totally flat. And so it, it, it makes every frame look like it's been like hand illustrate or not hand illustrated it looks more like a like a computer illustration like a really uh like a really good technical illustration but with a color palette that's been like blown out in a really uh really hot or really cool kind of way it just is a it's a really stunning looking game yeah i i i think the thing that it reminded me of most which is also an apple arcade game and not really similar in any way but like it reminded me of uh manifold garden uh, which Manifold Garden is all about this like bizarre architecture, like super, super intricate architecture, right? And like impossible recursive architecture. Um, but here it's applying what's really wild to me about this is it's applying this like really bold art style to natural settings. This feels like it ought to be totally incompatible, right? This like um, this like day glow poster uh, art style meets forest life it feels like it ought to be this like completely incompatible thing. And yet it super works. It's really, really cool. I just thought of another one that this isn't a perfect comparison, but like, you know, super hot and how they present Hmm. the world to you where like the entire background is white or like shades of white and gray. And then Mm -hmm. the stuff that is important that you interact with or is trying to kill you is like super bold and bright on the screen. Uh, that's kind of the same thing with this game. Imagine instead of like a white background, everything is like a cool teal. 
And then the things you can interact with are like a bright red and they all have a very noticeable outline. Like everything is really readable and way more intricate than a super hot, but that same sort of like, you're going to look at a screen and it's all going to be a big blast of like the same couple colors and really spell things out for you. What can, where can you go? What can you pick up? What can't you pick up? Yeah. So I, I don't know how much else there is for us to say apart from like, you should watch a trailer for this game if you haven't, because it looks stunning and you'll get a really good picture of like what I'm talking about with like within 10 seconds of the trailer. Uh, it has an amazing trailer. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that the trailer did that really drew me into this game, you know, they, they describe it as a surveillance mystery game. So, you know, it's, it's a game about like using this technical equipment to sort of like spy on these squirrels in this forest and like to see what they're doing and what their behavior is like. This game asks, how do you surveil a squirrel? And the answer is <laughs> climb up a tree and act like you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> nuts. Uh, Shane, that's a really, God. really bad joke. Um, he's, uh, he's been Shane opened that laffy taffy like 10 years ago and he's been waiting for the right moment to in context, drop that joke. It finally there, happened. There's a moment in the trailer where you find a big part of this is finding where the squirrels keep their stash of nuts, right? Or of acorns. Um, and there's a moment in the trailer where you find a, uh, one of these stashes and in amongst the nuts are a bunch of sticks of dynamite and the, and the voice of, <laughs> so you have a, a you, you have like a, it's such a funny moment. You haven't even talked about the NPCs like who are, who are both great, even though only one of them uh, is voiced. Right, right. Um, what is her name? I think it's Nina. This is another way this reminded me of Firewatch actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, <laughs> the relationship. Yeah. With Nina. You brought up the Firewatch connection during the the art style which i see but i think the way bigger connection to firewatch is is this side the game itself instead of investigating mm-hmm. like spooky teens and what's going on you're you're investigating spooky squirrels and what's going on it, it's 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 you're going out into the woods to do something that seems normal you're going to look at something and it's all going to be fine and then while looking at something it's not what it seems. I don't. I don't know whether your answers will require we save them for the spoiler break or not. But when I saw this this moment in the trailer, uh, and even more so when we when I got to this moment in the game, the the you know finding the stash of nuts that has a bunch of dynamite with it, and like <laughs> going back to your uh, your you know your camper and getting on the phone with Nina, and you know what is a squirrel doing with a bunch of dynamite? Why is that there? Um, Something about that, like, just implies, like, a really, really strange situation, right? And, like... It's a great hook. It's It's a great hook. And in that moment, I didn't know know where the game was going to go with that. That's, like, the last moment in the trailer. And it really leaves you wondering, like, okay, this could go one of two ways. These these squirrels are uh, finding dynamite in the forest... Because something mysterious is happening there. Or these squirrels are terrorists. And like, terrorists. I did not know which way this game was going to go. I was They have frankly, learned to manufacture dynamite. That was my my first thought was clearly these squirrels have learned to manufacture dynamite in the way that we understand dynamite. I just really expected that like the next scene was gonna be like, we found the other squirrels lair. He's got a gun. <laughs> Run. Yeah. 
Um, oh shit, that squirrel's a cop. You know what that reminds me of? That that classic panel from Hellboy where where they find the monkey. He says he's got a gun. Blam blam. Nuts. Nuts. <laughs> so I'm not going to spoil for you here which way this game swerves with it. But I will say that this is a game that takes its environmental message pretty seriously. Um, so it's very uh, it's very concerned with, you know, the fate of this forest and the fate of these endangered squirrels. Uh, and they are the world's weirdest squirrels because their habit is that every single night without fail, they travel the exact same path uh, down to the second uh, from wherever it is that they spend their time during the day to their stash of nuts at night. And so each day uh, or each like chapter of the game, you are tasked with something slightly different, but usually something along the lines of uh, find out where the squirrel keeps his nuts and uh, use the cameras to track him from point A to point B. Um, Let's talk about like the actual mechanics of doing that, because essentially these are puzzles, right? Each, Each of these sort of um, you know, chapters is essentially a puzzle where you have to kind of loop through, move the cameras a bit, watch the tapes, move the cameras a bit, watch the tapes. Um, how did that work for you guys? Did you find it frustrating or did you find it kind of interesting? How, how did it work for you? I thought it was, it was interesting. I, I wound up having some save file issues. So I wound up doing a couple, the first two levels, both twice, right? Uh, my first time through kind of the tutorial, up to actually exactly the point you were you were talking about that uh, that squirrel's going to blow up the world. Uh, the the I I the first time I went through it, it took me like twenty uh, twenty tries, right? Just a ton ton of nights, you know. But the second time I was doing it, even though I had totally forgotten, actually, like I actually had gone out. I was like, okay, I just need to get back to where I was. Where was that goddamn pile of nuts? And I walked around and that's the thing. They hide these things well enough that if you, even if you know like generally where it is and you've found it before, like these piles of nuts are hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very well hidden and going back through it. Uh, I, I kind of got a little bit more of a rhythm going with like how I positioned the cameras. And then by the time I was playing like the, the next level, the next new level after that, I was moving very quickly uh, around and positioning the camera. So I, I found it to be uh, interesting and intentionally clunky. Like you're, you're handling heavy nineties tech, mm-hmm. but it does get really fluid. Once you like start plopping these things and, and having a pretty good idea of like, you know, well, if he goes left, I'll catch him going this way with this camera. And if he goes right, I'll catch him this way with this camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, figuring it out or moving, out ahead of the squirrel and figuring out where he'll be. So really, uh, really neat. Yeah. I, I think it's the interface is a, is really cool. You know, the, the, uh, sort of intentional clunkiness of it definitely kind of makes, makes the whole thing feel a little bit tactile. I did find myself kind of wishing some of these levels get a little sprawling. And when we're, you know, talking about, uh, trailing a squirrel for, a minute of real time, but squirrels move very fast and unpredictably. So if you're watching it in the slow motion mode, it might be actually like, I don't know how slow it is exactly, but it felt like five minutes or more of like squirrel movement at sort of slightly slowed, more manageable speed. Um, It's, it's really slow and uh, the areas are really large. So like I I thought the first few, the first few areas like you, Shane, I, I, I initially started kind of like, wow, this is kind of hard to manage. 
But then I kind of got a feel for like how to use the cameras and everything. And then that got quite a bit hard, easier. And then the level started getting more difficult. And I kind of lost that advantage by the the fact that like the, the biggest issue I started having was that you started being in areas that were really spread out. Um, and it could take quite a bit of time to kind of complete that loop. You know, I'd, I'd turn on the cameras, I'd w- skim to wherever I needed to see in the tape. Oh, okay, look, looks like this time he's going to the left. I need to move some cameras over to see where he's going next. Reset, it's the next day. Go out, find the cameras, move them. And that that travel from the camper to the cameras and then back, particularly towards the end, uh, felt really long um, at times. You know, it's not these like massive, massive areas, but it certainly was a lot of schlepping. Um, and so I, I kind of started finding myself wishing there was some way to make that a little faster, whether that be something like a menu option to like Insta, you know, head back to the camper without having to walk back myself or or something like that. Um, I, I could see why they might want not want to do that but when this game was so much about like sort of intentionally making you use clunky interfaces manually. <laughs> um, and that's like, that's part of it. You know, that's part of the, the joy of this game actually. But um, it, there were definitely times where that started to, to wear on me a little bit. Yeah, that's really where I had a lot of friction playing this game with touch controls on my iPhone. Um, the It is like, you know, intentionally clunky. And I think that's an interesting design choice. It just kind of compounds when playing on a phone is also clunky for not like interesting and fun ways, but more just like kind of annoying ways. So when you are really trying to maneuver the camera in the right spot and and navigate in these worlds, I found myself more like knowing what I want to do, but not just being able to execute it in the way that I want to, which was more annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where, you know, I don't want to belabor it because this is a cool game, but that's where I was like, Ooh, I should have just played this not on my phone. But I want, I, I did purposefully choose like kind of for the podcast to, to do it on my phone because it's an Apple arcade game. This company has a good reputation of putting out iPhone games. So I wanted to see like, this is a first person game. Like if anyone's going to do it well, on an iPhone is probably going to be these guys uh, or at least this publisher would put, you know, would, would approve Mm -hmm. something with good, with good iPhone controls. And again, it's good for first person, but it's still just Mm -hmm. like, I just, I don't know that they'll ever be a like first person uh, game, especially like this, that you're just like, wow, this feels great on my iPhone. This feels to me a little bit like, you know, I, I don't know exactly when these folks kind of hooked up with Apple Arcade, but um, yeah, and I'm also totally speculating here because I don't know, uh, you know, any inside details about uh, how the Apple Arcade uh, program works. But something I've seen a lot is that uh, at least very early on with Apple Arcade, uh, with games like Manifold Garden, um, which I felt a lot of parallels between this and that, um, Apple Arcade was going around scooping up interesting short mm-hmm. indies that could work on all of their platforms, um, but yeah. probably didn't begin their lives as designed for iPhone, right? So like looking at something like Manifold Garden, uh, which I had a very similar experience with that, like it, Manifold Garden works on iOS 
okay, but with degraded visuals and slightly clunkier controls. And if you really want the proper experience, it's really um, best played on something like uh, a Mac or PC, and especially in that game's case, PC, because their Mac version was kind of problematic, at least when I played it. Um, The... uh, I felt sort of the same about this one. I think this game yeah. would be, I mean, I, play, you know, I played it on a 5k iMac with a decent uh, graphics card and it's great. It's great. Yeah. There. Looks great. Um, and I think it'd be even better on like a windows PC where I just sort of find that these sorts of things tend to run a little better. They're usually not constrained by like incredibly mediocre graphics cards and other stuff like that. Um, and then uh, it would also probably be great on a Switch. I think they did a really, really good job of taking this like bold line art style and making it uh, sort of degrade gracefully onto lower resolution devices. Like looking at it I on know. a phone, it still looked good. It was just uh, like mostly control issues. And I think it would work great on a switch as well yeah like 95 percent of my gaming is on the switch at this point and for whatever for whatever reason for this game i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna for the podcast i'm gonna do the iphone experience but i, I really don't want to sit on well, this for I, too I had long it on apple arcade you know? that's mm-hmm. why because i have well I have that apple is arcade yeah activated right now and yeah and so it's so much more i saved what like 15 20 bucks doing that uh yeah you know, so how, how yeah. much does this cost on Switch, actually? That, so, I, don't, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn there, but uh, that's the power of subscription models, is they'll make me use it on a device that's not ideal. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, $19.99 on Switch. Yeah, so I saved me $19.99. Which I think is honestly like a totally fair price for this game. Yeah. But if you're already yeah. an Apple it Arcade is, yeah. subscriber, if you can play this on... Uh, it, I would I would say, uh, at the very least, play this with a controller. Um, you're going to have a much, much better time. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can, play it on something with a larger screen. I think it plays great on an iPad with a controller. And I think it plays really well on a Mac uh, with a controller or mouse and keyboard. And I would go with the mouse and keyboard. Um, let's not belabor this point any further. We've all kind of, we've got it. Um, so there's not a whole lot else to talk about with Nuts. Uh, I guess the last thing I would mention is that it does have, I thought, a really good soundtrack. Uh, it's nothing like that stands out incredibly. It's mostly ambient music. Uh, there's a nice, like, uh, you know, a song over the credits that I thought was nice. But but uh, for the most part, it's sort of ambient music. But it does uh, do, like, something. It's a sort of responsive music. So it has, like, chill ambient music, and it has more tense ambient music. And there are definitely, like, moments in the game where it's scripted to, like, smoothly switch from one to the other. And it does that quite well. When the squirrels roll out that uh, tank that they built, <laughs> I thought the uh, ambient music really kicked it up a notch. It went, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I did. I. It, it's very <laughs> subtle. All of the sound and music and everything in this game is is subtle, but I think it, it works really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and the the sounds of the forest. Yeah. I think yeah. it, it makes pretty good use of Foley too. The crunch of the leaves. Mm-hmm. You, it, it does have amazing Foley work. Like if you yeah. if you um, just pull up the title screen, there's like a, a sound of, I think it's an acorn Nuts. hitting against a CRT television or something like that. <laughs> and you hear it and you're like, they put a microphone and dropped an acorn on a CRT television for that sound. It is that sound. Like they did yeah. not... Th- that was like they this is some like they did serious foley on this i think or if they didn't they have a really good foley library reagan you were like huh, based off of the residence of that nut drop i think this is a 1995 
uh, Samsung CRT. And then you went <laughs> into your closet and found that exact model and recreated the sound. It's like, mm, no, I was wrong. It's an, Ikiz- it's an Ikigami Sushinki. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah, no, it's it's really neat. Uh, I, I thought it sounded really good. Uh, play this game with headphones yeah. if you can. It's got, uh, I think it's also got 3D audio, or like it's doing at least very nice like stereo work to to kind of give you a sense of of space with the sound. Yeah, there's a scene where you get right in the middle of the squirrel Satan worship uh, <laughs> circle, you know, and in the 3D audio. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. You can hear, you know, if you turn your head, you it, it turns with you. It, it's really, by the way, in it's case really it's not clear, we're bullshitting here. <laughs> uh, I could very easily see someone listening to this and, and going in with some expectations set um, for something that the game doesn't deliver. And I honestly would have loved to have a, a, a squirrel Satan worship scene in this. So now that you've mentioned it, I'm terribly disappointed. Nuts. <laughs> Nuts. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I would say overall, I definitely recommend checking this game out. I think it's uh, it's really neat. Yeah. Um, and especially if you have an Apple Arcade subscription and a Mac that you feel is like up to snuff for a, a first-person 3D game. Um, for me, I found uh, cranking the resolution down a couple of notches helped a lot with performance on a 5K iMac. 5K is a lot of pixels to push for a game, even with one with a sort of flat art style like this. So, um, But once I did that, I was very, very pleased with the performance. Um, and, uh, recommend checking it out. Um, do we have some time for what's making us happy this week? Yeah. And we should say, I think we're going to do a spoiler after to kind of talk a little bit more about the story and some of the story beats. Uh, so if there's not a ton more to talk about, but we wanted to talk about the ending a little bit. So, uh, if you want to stick around after what's making us happy this week, uh, we'll have a little spoiler break for, you know, talk about it for a quick sec. Um, yeah. Nate, do you have anything? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you if you and our listeners have heard of this very little known director. Uh, his name is Miyazaki. Have you uh, have you all heard of him before? Uh, oh my uh, god! I, so <laughs> I, I I'm uh, literally one of the first fig- name Mia, last name <laughs> Zaki. That's a name to learn. L- literally, uh, I was I'm gonna have to think of something else because one of the things I was uh, was going to. One of the things I was considering saying was my uh, making me happy this week was a Miyazaki movie that I watched for the first time this week. So go right ahead. Oh, that wow, crazy! So I so obviously you know I'm joking. Miyazaki, one of the most famous uh, you know artists, directors of all time. Uh, anyway, he I, I have not watched. I, I that's just been a giant gap in my uh, movie fandom. I've just never, I've literally never seen a Miyazaki movie. Really? Um, yeah, I know. I know. And which did it's you crazy. watch? I have watched three okay. <laughs> in the last, uh, in the last four days. Uh, our, uh, daughter, our older daughter is getting to the age where like the, the, it just felt like these would be cool movies to watch with her. Um, and so I have now watched spirited away, of course, Howl's moving castle and Totoro. Uh, and you know, surprise, surprise, they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I was You're just mainlining serotonin right there. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's been great. You know, I, back to back for the first time. Wow. I have no new or interesting takes on these, you know, wildly heralded films. So, uh, I'll just say that like I was, 
Uh, I'm glad to have finally taken the jump in. I obviously Spirited Away, I think, was my favorite. After that, I loved, I thought Howl's Moving Castle was interesting. I feel like I need to watch it again to really understand everything that was going on. And then Totoro, uh, let me get that cat bus. I want to get that cat bus. Uh, So my my daughter is very obsessed with Totoro right now. Uh, We literally watched it again today because she wants to watch it every day. Uh, And when we get in the car on our way to or from daycare, she says, Totoro song, Totoro song, Totoro song. And I have to play the Totoro soundtrack off of uh, Spotify, which is in Japanese, but she doesn't care. She just wants to hear the Totoro song. God, I wish it weren't Paw Patrol in my house. (laughs) Totoro, she's liked all of them, but Totoro seems to stuck with her the most too, which is interesting out of all of those. But I think it's Cat Bus and Giant and Totoro. Totoro is adorable. So you know, the, Totoro. When when I've always liked Miyazaki's movies, but I I think that I'd always thought of like Totoro as like one of his not lesser movies. It's like a widely beloved thing, right? But like I thought, like okay, well, this is what the thing that he did for little kids, and then he did these other movies for for grown ups, right? And for us adult weebs, I've yeah. now watched mm-hmm. Totoro more than any other. Maybe more than any other movie in my life, uh, <laughs> but at the very least more than any other uh, Miyazaki movie. And I have to say, every time I see it, I still love it, which I can't say for any other piece of media that my daughter has foisted on me. Uh, and I I remember like reading somewhere like Miyazaki has this uh, had this this thing he's he used to say about filmmaking, which is that he said that popular movies should uh, should have an entrance that is low and wide and an exit that is high and purified. And I think that's a, oh, that's great. a lens to look, look at his movies through. Totoro, it's like everybody loves Totoro, the big friendly cat creature that lives in the woods. Children love him. He's a friend to all children. And then you come out of that movie and it's like, it's like about this, it's just, I mean, it's so beautiful. It's about the, you know, the the children and their 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 love for their mother and the and the horrible fear of losing your parents as a child, and yeah, and it's just, it's just, yeah, you know, it's just such a beautiful goddamn movie. And I've seen it now, <laughs> freaking thirty times this month. I swear to God, and I still think it's a beautiful damn movie. I'm so lucky that my kid is into that and not like. I don't know what something that would annoy me quite a bit more. Almost literally anything else in the world would annoy me. Yeah, I've been really happy about. Uh, so the last uh, uh, the last month has basically been me watching Miyazaki with our daughter, and also I'm watching Avatar, the last Air- Airbender for the first time with her. Tight, uh, and which is awesome. Which I could talk about, you know, for a long time now, but uh, but I won't. Uh, but yeah, I'm like kind of, it's been a good excuse to dip into these things that I kind of always wanted to watch, but have just never committed to, uh, cause she's really enjoying them as well. Though it's funny, uh, Lola has already watched all of Avatar, uh, <laughs> she, her and Molly watched it a while ago. I just, uh, I'm on leave right now from work for our, uh, other daughter and, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna use this time to get caught up on some of the stuff that I've wanted to watch. And I will watch it with her. So it's a bonding experience. You know, it's, it's been great. I'll just kind of merge my what's making uh, me happy this week with yours then and say that I finally got around to watching Porco Rosso, uh, which I'd never seen mm. before. 
um, this this week and uh, and Wednesday liked that one too, um, although not as much as uh, Kitty Bus and <laughs> Cat uh, Bus. She just loves the Kitty Bus. Um, yeah, I mean, it, of course, right? Who doesn't? I don't have any tattoos, and I think my first tattoo is going to be Cat Bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I would recommend Porco Rosso. And I, um, because I'm watching with a child, I'm basically restricted to watching the dubs, which I don't usually do for these sorts of things. But yeah, the dub same. on, first of all, the dub on Totoro is, I think, one of the greatest movie dubs of all time. But the, the dub on Porco Rosso is great um, because it has, um, oh, geez, what's his name? Uh, uh, first Batman. What's? Oh, Adam West. No, not that one. Um, <laughs> the movie Batman. <laughs> Um, Val Kilmer, George Clooney. Uh, no, you're going in the wrong Bruce. order. The, before that, um, played, <laughs> Shane, help me out here. Who played Batman in the Tim Burton Batman? Oh, you're well, both I failures, can't. and so am I. Uh, 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 this is the part where listeners are just screaming at at their headphones. Um, Michael. Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Thank you, Jesus. Oh Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton does the voice of uh, Porco Rosso, the uh, the yes, the pig who is also a uh, World War One veteran uh, flying ace, and he does it in just so such an understated way. It's it's such a great film. Um, it's like. It's a, it's a, you know, it's like one part Casablanca, one part Miyazaki, and uh, and the dub is great. If you're watching with children, don't don't feel like you're losing anything. I haven't watched the the Japanese yet, probably will, but like, it's it's like a really really fun movie. Um, and like, I just I thought it was great. So um, I, that's that's what made me happy this week was like a new Miyazaki that I'd never watched before. That's funny. Uh, Christian Bale is the voice of Howl. In the American dub or the English dub of Howl's Moving Castle. And Adam West does the voice of Kiki in Kiki's Delivery Service. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, clearly Miyazaki loves Batman, even though all these happened, you know, this happened before Christian Bale was Batman. He just knew. He just knew. He just knew. So I, um, I did not watch, uh, well, I did kind of watch a Miyazaki movie that I'll make a reference to here. But the, the movie I'm excited about this week, uh, because we're all apparently doing kids movies this week, is The Great Mouse Detective. This is what you get when you put three dads on a podcast. Laura, Laura, <laughs> oh, come back, Laura. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I won't go on like we did about, about Miyazaki because it doesn't quite deserve it. But I will say I absolutely love Radigan. Um, Radigan remains like the rat king of crime. Uh, and I had forgotten that he was voiced by Vincent Price. Oh my God, song, he is. That's awesome. amazing. amazing. I need awesome. to watch that now. Yes, absolutely. And the, the Miyazaki connection is that the, uh, kind of big climactic scene, uh, which is like a, 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 a chase through the clock at the top of Big Ben. Uh, that scene uh, inspired by Miyazaki's uh, incredible clockwork castle in uh, Lupin the Third, uh, Castle of Cagliostro. Oh. So uh, there was kind of a, a direct a direct inspiration there. So this is also a great you know great movie. If you get that uh, Disney Plus, you could fire this one up. Uh, it's the it's probably the first movie in what is one of the most amazing runs 
that any movie studio has ever made the Disney Renaissance. And there's been tons written about the Disney Renaissance, but it, I think it starts here with the, uh, uh, oh, the, with the incredible burlesque scene uh, that's dropped weirdly into the middle of this movie, <laughs> uh, where, uh, where uh, a bunch of mice uh, strip and tell you, uh, like, let... <laughs> Let me let me be good to you is the head of the song. Uh and yeah, it would never happen in a in a Disney movie today. Uh and so this is that's why this one's super excellent. It's 1986. Uh and then like I said, kicks off the most incredible run. Like it's followed up by The Little Mermaid. Actually, this, yeah, this one's followed by like the the Little Mermaid, and then there's Aladdin, and it's like off from there. It goes just goes off. Wow, I didn't realize that Great Mouse Detective was that early. It's one of those movies like I remember watching a ton on VHS, and I've just got these weird flashes of memory from it, but I I don't actually remember almost anything about it apart from like Radigan being vaguely scary and something about that clock tower scene, and that's about it. That's all I really remember. Something about an airship or something. Yeah. Yeah, you you remember it pretty well. I was only halfway watching it, but you know it's good to put on for a toddler. <laughs> Listen for those songs. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, uh, listeners, uh, then we're going to take a, a quick sec for a spoiler break, uh, and we'll talk about the ending and some other details about nuts. But uh, if you're leaving us here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find our website, our searchable show notes page, where you can search the name of any game. If you're thinking to yourself, huh, I wonder if The Short Game ever covered Game X. Uh, go do a quick search. The search fe- feature of our website can sometimes be a little hard to find. You have to click on the show notes page, and it's on there, not on the main page, uh, which... I wish I could do anything about that, but I don't know how to use WordPress right. Uh, so you got to live with it. Uh, sorry, friends. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go uh, go there and do a search. You'll find all of our past episodes. We've been doing this a while. You can also find uh, our uh, our contact form there, and you can get in touch with us that way or suggest a game. Uh, and of course, uh, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore short game. Or the best way to get in touch with us is that our patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game, uh, all of our patrons at even a dollar a month uh, get immediate access to our Discord community, which is where we talk about the games we're playing, we talk about and plan the show, uh, and we just shoot the shit generally about stuff that is up, and we would love to have you. So if you go to patreon.com slash the short game and support our show uh, at even the paltry sum of one dollar a month uh which works out two pennies a podcast let me tell you uh then you get immediate access there and we'll uh we'll see you there if you join us uh and okay let's see uh what else my name is reagan kelly and you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k shane where can people find you you can find me on twitter at 8-bit shane and nate where can people find you on twitter at nate stl and here it is Ladies and gentlemen, your spoiler break. So I know you guys didn't quite get to the ending. Um, I thought it might be worth just talking about it because we were talking about this offline. And uh, the, the big question I had going into this game was... What direction are they taking this? They've got this big mystery set up Nuts. with like these squirrels have dynamite, which is like not it's like <laughs> it's, it's not exactly a hook. It's just it's just like a weird. No, that thing, is right? that is a hook. That is it's the arm on the ground of Night in the Woods. 
it's it's the it's the thing that makes you think okay uh, there is going to be something more than just looking at squirrels right and that's what this game needs you need to know this game isn't just going to be charting the path of squirrels right right and that's why it's really smart is they do that and it's in the trailer and everything because starting out the game if you don't have that in your back pocket that like this is about to get you know like different to some degree there's gonna be some intrigue uh then i could you you may get really like i don't want to set up these cameras and track these squirrels and like i i think it's pretty smart to add that level of intrigue really fast Hmm. so i will say this about it i i enjoyed the ending but i was hoping for more weirdness you know the 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 feeling of like finding the the dynamite in the squirrel den um was something i was like oh man I really hope I find more weird shit in squirrel dens, and I hope that uh, that there's something really strange and mysterious going on here. And the the strange mystery that was going on here was capitalism. Uh, so, like, you know, you are there doing an ecological impact study to study this uh, this like location that you're in uh, to make sure that it's that it there aren't any uh, you know endangered animals there, so these people can build there, right? And of course, there are endangered animals there, and you're you're documenting them. Um, but as the game progresses, uh, it becomes obvious that the people that have hired you to do this, so you're you know this this company Panorama uh, that has hired you to do this uh, this what do you call this thing um, this you know ecological impact study is is basically ignoring your results and building anyway. So things that weren't supposed to have been done until after your ecological impact study, like clear cutting a bunch of trees. Or uh, or beginning construction on a dam are happening anyway while you're still there, and they're publishing newspaper articles and other stuff with doctored versions of your photos with the squirrels edited out. They are publishing uh, quotes from the people that you're the the woman Nina that you're working with in in newspaper articles about this this construction project that are false. You know they're uh, they're totally lying. And in fact, it seems like they may even be doing, they may even be like attacking uh, the dude who helps bring you food and stuff like, like nasty stuff is happening. They're not just trying to brush this study under the rug. They may literally be trying to kill you. Um, And the, uh, the conclusion of the game, I, I was sort of hoping to like find some way to stop them. Right. But that's not how this goes down. The ending of the game is like the score. First of all, you fall into this ravine uh, and you find a bunch of old equipment from the 1980s uh, version of this study that's still there. Um, and uh, you're you're stuck there because they can't get, uh, I think because of interference from the company, they can't get a rescue team to even bother going to save you. Uh, and there's they're building the dam and there's a storm coming. And so this whole valley that you're in is going to fill up with water. And this whole forest is going to be washed away. And you have this kind of clock ticking. Now, I don't think there's actually a clock ticking on this because they said like within about a week, 
this whole area is going to be washed away. And listener, let me tell you, it took me 12 or 13 days because it was a very hard part of the game and I had to keep moving my cameras and resetting the day again and again and again. Um, so definitely took me longer than a week. I don't think there was an actual clock ticking on it, but it made you feel as though there was one. And finally, you have to sort of find out where all the squirrels are going and the squirrels are leading you to a boat where when the dam finally breaks or whatever it is that happens and and the whole valley is washed away, you Noah's Ark-like float away on a boat full of squirrels and nuts. <laughs> it's like uh, it's a little bit Firewatch, you know, you, you get into the ravine and sort of uncover part of the mystery and a little bit, oh brother, where art thou? Yeah, and you know, it, in a lot of ways, like Firewatch, it, you know, Firewatch had that same feeling of like, there's something weird going on in this valley, right? And then um, mm-hmm. the 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 weird thing that's going on seems, in some ways, like it could be like a big conspiracy or something weird, and then right. it turns out it's this much smaller, more personal story. Um, it, it has that same kind of feeling of like, it feels like there could be something really dramatic going on here, and there is to yeah. a degree, like this company is like putting you know, putting uh, real human lives at risk and also annihilating an entire habitat that's pretty important. Um, and these squirrels are, are way smart smarter enough to than lead you to. Yeah, that's a, I was going to say, you started with the, the more normals of the squirrel. I mean, at the very least, it's nice to know that you do get led to safety by a pack of squirrels. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. It, it's It's really nuts <laughs> it's really nuts <laughs> it uh it remi- you've reminded me of a inside joke uh for us magic the gathering nerds uh oh, the God. biggest creature of all time a 1515 uh eldrazi titan named emrakul um frequently depicted being killed by 1511 squirrels so. <laughs> nice uh yeah, I mean that it it's interesting when you set up a game like that where there's so much mystery. You kind of have like two ways to go, right? I'm thinking of Firewatch, where it's like, I guess this is spoilers for Firewatch, right? Where like you think it's gonna be really five years old. As yeah, I said, yeah, you think it's gonna be <laughs> maybe it's government conspiracy, maybe it's aliens, maybe it's like a murder thing. There's all these different things, and it ends up being like. Oh no! This was just like the a most young, logical... a young boy tragically died. Yeah, it's like the most normal, the most likely outcome of all these things. And then, like the night in the woods, where it's like, oh, it actually is like a crazy, massive conspiracy with like Cthulhu-like monsters and whatnot. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and you can see a game like this, this, this felt know, a little bit with- like it split the difference to me because like, it does have like, there is a conspiracy going on, but you never really see it. You know, you never directly interact with yeah. anyone from Panorama, the company that's, that's, you know, doing all of this evil mm. shit. Um, you right. only interact with the squirrels and the squirrels are like mostly pretty normal. Like they're, they're pretty normal squirrels apart from the fact that they, a seem to repeat exactly the same actions every single night and the game just sort of hand waves that as part of their behavior. It's, you know, it's a game. This is this is how we well, understand and, it works. And cor- you know, in quarantine times aren't we all these squirrels? We are all these just squirrels doing, this, doing the same thing just over and over and over. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But like the, the other thing about it is that it sort of implies that part of the reason these squirrels are like helping you out in the end is that one of these squirrels is literally a squirrel that you're, that Nina befriended uh, or like, you know, helped raise uh, when she was here last. Like she sees one of the photos and she recognizes it. And I'm like, how do you recognize a squirrel in a faxed photograph and so I'm saying the camera or the, later. <laughs> the printer, this printer is fantastic. It is, it is a, a it's incredible camera, the printer, the fax t- t- peak of 1997 technology. It, incredible. But like it's implied there's like, there's like a, there's like a history there. So, um, but it's a, it's a sweet And also story. everyone knows squirrels live for 15 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, sweet story. And I, I really, I really enjoyed the ending despite having, you know, felt, felt like there, you know, there's some, there's some plot holes here, uh, but that's okay. Uh, because it was a really neat, nice, beautiful looking. Um, I enjoyed the puzzles for the most part, apart from occasional grumbling when I had to schlep back and forth. Um, yeah, I had a lot of a lot of fun with it. So I uh, I stand by my recommendation. Yeah, I'm glad you finished it. I, I uh, we were we were on a tight timeline this week, so it is what it is. But uh, you know, it's worth playing all the way through. Yeah, definitely is. So um, we've already done our outro stuff, so I can just leave you guys here. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me and listeners. Thanks for listening to The Short Game.